0: yes indeed hello and welcome to episode three of the yes indeed podcast. We made it we did it as all good podcasts aspire to do we hit three episodes. yeah it's a it's a real accomplishment. I'd like to thank my mom and no one else. She's alone made this possible. I agree. Brian's mom. Ben also thanks my mom. Yes. Thanks, Susan. Uh, This is the 20th of December, and we have many things to talk about. So many. So many. Yes, indeed. It's like the box without the step. It's like the band without the pep. It's like the pep
1: without the rally. It's like the ship. Without the galley. It's like the galley
0: without the oar. It's like the Jersey without the shore. Yeah, so Larry came. uh, And this was great for Larry. Because my brother, um, kind of like us, doesn't really like sitting around and not doing a thing. So they watch a a lot of TV. But he's also just really big on board games. um, And then very specific video games, which we'll talk about later. But while we're on board games, we played a whole so many smack daddy's worth of board games one entire smack daddy that's a big that's a big amount yeah you don't you don't even want to know what the conversion of that is to metric it's a lot it's a multiple of ten though it's a big multiple so the uh, the first game that we played with Larry uh, was a game called Flam Rouge uh, which as it's name implies has a bit of French stuff going on but mostly in a way that just it's funny to say the things in French because it's not really intense, um, and it's a game about bicycle racing. It is, yeah, and it's it's basically all built
1: around this idea that you know you have to do some stamina management, make sure you you save. Your okay, well, uh, can we re- redo? Make this sound fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you're 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 racing because it was fun. It was fun. Um, yeah, you're it's racing.
0: Racing. It's a racing game with really clean and awesome mechanics where. If you start out immediately and you you go, I'm going to win this race. I'm out in number one and I'm feeling good, the game penalizes you for that. Because whenever whenever you're the first one in your lane, then you have to take an exhaustion card, which makes you have two different uh, bicyclists. You have a sprinter and a roller. A roller. Uh, (laughs) That's French. Uh, So you have those two decks, and the sprinter has got a bunch of a few really awesome fast cards and the rest that are kind of middling and then your rolla has a deck full of like decent value Solid. cards just throughout um so your whoever is the first one to get one of their bicyclists over the finish line wins so your goal is to get one of them ahead um so that means you have to play with how they use each other to kind of throttle because as we mentioned if you're out in front in the lane, then you take these exhaustion cards, and they make your deck worse because each turn you draw a certain number of cards. You have to play one of them, and that's how much you move. If you drew an exhaustion card and you only draw exhaustion it cards, you. then you're moving a real slow slug speed. Right,
1: and and uh, and then the the other element is is all about how when when bicyclists are racing, uh, if you have someone in front of you, it lets you go a little faster. So. You're trying to kind of mind game things such that you end up one space different from someone in front of you, so you kind of get
0: pulled along for free. It's it's basically drafting the board game. Yeah. Uh, you're, if you. Uh, th- no other game simulates <laughs> wanting to be directly behind someone <laughs> better than Flamme Rouge. <laughs> but actually, because. It, so, But that ends up being a really funny mechanic because that means that you want to be last. Right. Because if you were behind people, then you might get that little bump. So you want to go slow. But if you're too slow, then the game has a mechanic where if you're too far behind everybody, you don't get that buff where you get to move up a space. You just stay in the back and you actually get tired because you have airspace between you and the next pack. Yeah, that air so resistance. you're trying to play this game where you want to stay back but not too far back and forward but not too far forward yeah so it's a game about trying to be in the middle until the right moment and then you go later nerds <laughs> and then just pedal as hard as you can and get to the
1: finish line yeah and it was yeah simple fun exciting competitive fast yeah great. this is great this game. definitely
0: feels like one of like if you're if you're new to board gaming this is this is like cocaine awesome yep um you you'll get hooked and you'll it'll, it's a nice high it has a really nice thing that i actually really like in games when you play it and you kind of you get you see the puzzle and you kind of get it but you have no idea how to actually crack it and you know that you could sit there and like actually calculate the right thing to do but instead you go yeah we gonna go with this <laughs> and everybody can do that and be like really ro- close and really competitive in this game Um, and yes, the person who sits there and calculates might win, but, uh, because it's a game that you can definitely like fly by the seat of your pants in, uh, it keeps it really brisk and fast, which is huge. Like being able to sit down and play a really awesome, um, game that you sink your teeth into and being able to get through that in like 30, 40 minutes is awesome. Yep. That's a great bar. Absolutely. And, uh, I know from, from our first
1: episode, uh, fan favorite of sorts was this game fog of love when oh anyone wants to
0: talk about fog of love hey listen to your podcast fog of love is <laughs> a cool game no yes it's great and i played it again with my brother and it went differently <laughs> went, went differently um we were high school sweethearts and larry uh, my brother married his high school sweetheart who they in real yeah, life in the real life they're the only people each other have ever dated um and Larry was, Larry was like, I want to be blue, because then I'll be me, and then you'll be Kelly. And then I was like, Larry, it specifically says on the box <laughs> multiple times that you're not playing, playing as yourselves. Um, and then things got really weird really quickly. Um, and we ended up staying together. We had a very happy relationship. Um, it just required Larry to totally change everything about <laughs> who he was. Yeah. But, we, you know... Uh, it, but it was kind of funny because it was um, we started out and um, and like ben, ben and I's relationship seemed like a very it was a very functional thing devoid of feelings completely ours was ours was a bit rocky but there was uh, I think more passion and that's why uh larry's desire to change happened. he looked at a fortune cookie and he changed his entire personality so he's got a lot of things going on she had her his character her had a lot of things going on um and yeah we ended up really happy and uh it was just a, a nice to play a dynamic where we actually chose things that were helping each other and uh <laughs> Uh, you clicked. unlike in the first game where I played a secret and I was secretly older than you revealed it as a big Hulu, Uh I, I played a secret this game that I had a surprise party for him uh, for her and Le- Larry revealed it and then it was just like, like he's still happy because he got a surprise party <laughs> <laughs> it was just like ha yes you finally played a secret oh yeah oh yeah you know what my hairdresser told me that you're throwing a surprise party for me and then I was like oh god shouldn't have told her why didn't i tell my hairdresser i knew she be gab um it's just really good It just <laughs> continues to be good and just felt so different um and uh i mean we could talk about foggle we could make this the foggle podcast uh but we should probably talk about other stuff but just know that um this was just another example of how this game is not only good but it's just different both with who you play with and then also each time you play which is mm-hmm. awesome definitely well speaking of other games, oh, uh, there's the game. The game of this is this is the game that uh back when our old roommate Marietta uh, lived here, we would always joke they'd be like, Oh, what board game do you want to play? And then the, jokingly kicked around, hey Mage Knight? Mage do you Night play Mage Knight. We should play Mage Knight.
1: <laughs> Which ben,
0: A quick game of Mage Knight. Yeah. Can you tell the, the the audience at home why this is so funny? I think we mentioned this before, but basically in order to
1: learn how to play Mage Knight, you need to play through a tutorial by reading a rule book before you can actually read the rule book.
0: How long would you approximate a game of Mage Knight
1: takes? Well, so we actually we played an entire game of Mage Knight, the three of us, which me, is and Larry. an accomplishment. It is, and and the game takes place over the course of of days and nights, and we played a three day, three night game, and it took us probably around eight hours to play through
0: the whole thing. This was the first time we've played with three people. Yeah, um, and. It, definitely slows the game down especially the game has a mechanic to kind of kick you in the butt and speed you up a bit that we take out because it's more satisfying when you get to like get all of the gooey dripping awesomeness of the game and go at your own pace and not have to worry about speeding up it's so much nicer when you could just sit back relax and just solve the puzzle in front of you yeah
1: so so the the kind of experience of the game is it's sort of like uh, an analog video game uh, power fantasy thing where you are a hero, you're exploring this land, you go on quests, you become more renowned, you level up, you become powerful, and then you can either destroy the bad guys or destroy each other however you choose to play the game. And we played it co-op. We did. Because we don't
0: like attacking each other. No.
1: <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. It's, it's really cool to have a game that uses that many systems while still feeling really tight and engaging um and i never feel overwhelmed when i'm playing mage knight because in any given turn there's not a ton of options you kind of just have to do the best you can with what you have because
0: uh you have each character has each person has their own deck of cards that starts out something like 15 cards uh most people like 13 of those cards will be common throughout the decks and then you'll have two cards that are unique to your character they're like buffed versions of the ordinary cards. And they actually super change the way you play the game. Yeah, definitely. Um, which is really nice because it gives each person its own, uh, play, their style. own play style. Um, and that was really nice. And because you have that deck of 15 cards and you draw five of them at a time, what you're going to be able to do on a turn is whatever's in your hand so if you want you you before you draw up your i'm going to move over there and explore and help the whole team and see reveal a new region then it's gonna be awesome and then ben can have something awesome and meaningful to do on his turn and then you draw your hand and you have nothing but cards that help influence people to get them on your team and you go Uh... i'm gonna go to the monastery and recruit a monk (laughs) how about that sorry ben bye (laughs)
1: um and yeah it is it is a game that requires a lot of patience patience (laughs)
0: um but i think it's rewarding it's because it's really neat because um yes it's true that it's your turn and then two other people take their turns and it takes a while because each person's solving the puzzle that is their five cards uh but at the same time it's really rewarding to watch your friends get really excited about being able that figuring out the optimal play in their turn and getting really pumped on it. Mm -hmm. And then you see and see how much thought it took them and how intricate their little thing is. And, and, or, you know, that moment where I'm waiting for Ben and Ben goes, you know what I'm going to do? Burn down the monastery. (laughs) And then Larry and I are like, Oh, he's burning down the monastery. Oh, (laughs) like it's, uh, even though, even when it's not your turn and the turn actually doesn't really impact you. It does it does a bit because they change the state of the map. Mm-hmm. Um, so if Ben burns down a monastery, I can't go to the monastery anymore, so I'm invested that way. But also it's just it's that it's the whole reason any game that has a lot of puzzles is really cool to play with other people. When you watch your friends solve puzzles and get excited about it, mm-hmm. it's a really nice feeling. And this game
1: has a ton of that. Yep. And and it's very clearly designed again to be a power fantasy so
0: that everything you do in it makes you feel awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you can't have bad turns, yeah. which is really good. Um, and uh you know as you do this so if you go to like a mage tower you can get spells and all these things add cards to your deck which means that uh when it becomes nighttime or when it becomes the next day and you take all those cards that you played and you shuffle them up and you get a whole new deck you have a even better deck than you did the day before yeah. and you tangibly feel in your hands
1: the power creep
0: yeah and it's so you know the first night i have nothing then the, the next day comes and all of a sudden I get a run where I can now cast Earthquake and Ambush and uh, not just cast cards like Move or Let's Make Mana Rain from My Heaven. It. Like, yeah. it's, it's cool. It just adds uh, a bunch of new stuff. And the, the really, really cool thing about it is that each deck, in addition to starting out kind of different, ends up becoming different too because Ben will prioritize different things than me and will prioritize mm-hmm. different things from Larry which means that all three of us at the end of the day were really awesome and unique and great in totally different ways. Yeah. So my whole thing was I, I really like having allies to do my fighting for me. So you know I have a group of heroes and that group of heroes will uh, they have a siege weapon with them and they can fire a giant siege attack that just wins the combat for them. And that's what I do. And meanwhile while I'm doing that, Ben has a card that says, throw away a card and pretend like you play it six times or something yeah, yeah, crazy yeah. like that and ben is ah, i do like 30 damage yeah uh and it's, it's but it's so cool because it's each of us just have our own distinct unique things and you know it's it's so different Yep. and Absolutely. each game feels different because whatever comes out completely changes it and when you if you get earthquake the first night or the fourth night it changes things completely because it changes what kind of fights you can do mm-hmm. and it's just it's just good absolutely and this is so this th- the game designer of Mage Knight is Vlada Trivato, um, who we mentioned code names before that is also a Vlada Travato game um, and he has a lot of games Pictomania is also a Vlada of game so we really like him as a designer he picks things that are super thematic and you really feel like you're in that world you know we, we put on some generic like video game fantasy, fantasy soundtrack yeah. and it was just really cool And it's such a long game that we didn't even play it in one sitting. No. We played it for, you know, five hours and then left the board up because you cannot pack that board (laughs) away. Um, Then came back to it, and that was actually probably really good because then we were all refreshed and then wanted to go in and kick some butt. Yep. And we did. We kicked butt. We won. For those of you who were curious, we (laughs) won when we took out the timing mechanic and cheated. (laughs) and we, we speaking of cheating yeah.
1: so there's a game that has cheating in it's rule book I was
0: going to make that segway <laughs> you can't steal um, segways Ben oh, but I care
1: about you so much I hate you so, so this game is called Seasons <laughs> and Seasons is basically you're all playing mages oh it's so good
0: and you're competing over the course of three years in a magic competition yeah but the theme is like fine yeah. it's there but the, the puzzle of the game is incredible super unique and amazing, and there are these big, clunky, colorful dice, and it's just a phenomenal West. game. It's great. Well, it's
1: it's actually interesting to talk about Seasons and Mage Knight because thematically they're very similar, but uh, I think that Mage Knight, the experience of it, is why it's more engaging versus Seasons is more about the like nitty gritty mechanics.
0: Engage- whatever Engage- your definition of engages is completely different than my different of engaging engaging is whatever i think i think it if you talk about engaging from a theme perspective that's super right Mm -hmm. but if you talk about from moment to moment in the games i feel like i'm more present when i'm playing seasons uh because the puzzle seems that much more imminent in a game like seasons because it's not eight hours long yeah totally (laughs)
1: um but it is interesting though that it also takes place in, in using kind of a, a time mechanic so yeah. mage knight is over the course of three days seasons over the course of three years you know um and it is a nice way to kind of make you feel like you've gone on a journey you know yeah, and yeah I, it, it really does feel like um in both games you kind of gradually
0: become more powerful and the way that you were at the beginning is very different That's than what you real. were at the end that's super real i the, to me po- some of this has been imparting too much i'm a writer meta on um, <laughs> seasons uh but i would definitely definitely it's true that that's a game that you feel momentum in yeah um and in really funny ways because sometimes momentum in that game means you're building up this awesome stuff and you build and you build and then you keep building and then it's you you finally make your engine and it feels amazing hmm There are other games of seasons that you play that you have momentum and momentum and you're building and you're building and then you have your thing built. But there's eight months of the last year left and you go, I don't know what to do now. Um, I guess I should just draw cards and just hope I get good things. Yeah. So how does this game work? So, so basically you... We should explain that at some point. Yeah, I agreed. So, so uh, the idea is you get victory points. Um... Bah, bah, bah. First things first. Yeah. So th- this game takes place in two phases almost. The first phase is much shorter than the other phase. And the- phase two is really like where the game is played. But phase one is uh, card drafting. Mm-hmm. So each person is dealt nine cards. And they kind of like a game like Seven Wonders. Uh, you take one for yourself. And then you pass the rest of the deck to your neighbor. And then they you keep doing that until you run out of cards, basically. So each person ends up with nine cards. Um, and that's that's like the deck. That's the, These will be in your hand at some point in the game is what you have access to to play. Um, and the way you split them up is you put three cards in each year. So you start in year one. So the those first three cards you get to start the game with. The ones you put in year two, once one year has passed, you get to pick those cards up and then you can play them. And then the last bit, the last ones you can't play until the end of the game. So certain cards are better for earlier games. So um, in order to play cards at all, you have to, there's a little, everyone has their own little marker called the summoning gauge. If you're at zero, then you can't have any cards in front of you. If you have one, then you could have one card in front of you and so on. So cards that give you summoning gauge are infinitely better in the early game because you don't have any yet and you want to play stuff. Um, And then, game cards that cost, you know, three Earth and three Fire are better in the late game because you need to work up to those kinds of cards.
1: Yeah, and it's it is a lot of resource management, both in terms of the number of cards you can summon, and also you you are using kind of Earth, Water, Fire. Yeah, each
0: element has a has a token, and you can have them in your reserve. Then you, in order to play cards, you have to pay for them with. Tokens. Uh, tokens or victory points right so the other cool thing about this game is victory points aren't just a thing that ticks up and are very static and all scoring happens in the, the game or whatever no this it's is a game fluid. that's a lot more fluid you some cards you actually have to pay victory points to play them but mm. a lot of times those are it's still worth it but um it's 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 a really cool mechanic that it's just like another resource in the game uh which leads to really funny combo like there's a card that says when whenever someone plays a card, they have to pay you one of their victory points first. And I put that out really early in the game, and then Ben was like, oh, because <laughs> he didn't have any points, so he couldn't play any cards." Uh, and that made me feel really fun, and Ben didn't like it. <laughs> well,
1: that's that's the nature of competitive games that you you get cornered and you have to you have to make. Uh tough choices given the situation but you you you
0: may do you got you got some points and then you had a really cool engine that was much better suited for a game that went beyond the amount of time we went Mm -hmm. you had a much better thing built than i did but i ended up winning because um i kind of peaked at the right time so we talked about that whole payoff thing that we were talking about before you were you, you peaked and the game ended and I peaked, and there were like six months left. So I was like, "Okay, let's well, advance time." Yeah. I like, don't really want to. I can't be in this game much longer because yeah. I don't have anything really. Um, and but it's it's so good, mostly because each round you pick up these big, huge dice that are like the size of your thumb. Yeah, <laughs> and you roll f- like five of them, and then whatever the faces are face up, then each person takes one of those in order. Um, So if I'm first player, I take one first, then Ben takes one and so on. And then however many little, there are little dots on the cards and however many are left over, that's how many months the game advances. Um, So again, really, really tight mechanics. It makes you adapt to things. You can't plan ahead too much because you don't know what's going to come up, but you have some sense of what's going to come up. And it's just really smart and one of the best, um, really intensely strategic games that also feels super light and accessible. Yep. That's Seasons. That's seasons, so then
1: we oh we had boy. an epic game, arguably one of the best board gaming experiences we've ever had of all
0: time. <laughs> uh, and yeah, oh my god.
1: So so this was the, with this game called Lords of Vegas, and Lords of Vegas, you are basically role playing as a casino owner in Vegas, and you're trying to grow your empire.
0: And it's like the early days of Vegas, and you're all you're all kind of barons, and you you're all owning different casinos and you you want to own Vegas basically. Yeah. You know, you, wanna, you know, you want people to be saying your name. They want you to, people to be saying, "Oh, the Ritz, that's that's Brian." Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Um so it's a game that all of you are kind of in that setting. I like to pitch it to people as like, "Oh, are there bits about Monopoly you like even though it's a terrible game? Play Lords of Vegas." Right. Lords of Vegas does has the nice elements of Monopoly just way way better and cleaner and is a way better game. But yeah. The, so it's it's um, it's definitely
1: uh, still using the same kind of ideas of area control, and there's some randomized number generation involved. Just and there's like trading, Monopoly, and... but um, but it's much more strategic. It's way more balanced, and and the the randomized elements uh, are much more in your control. So uh, what what happened in our game, which was so incredible. Was uh, one thing that you can do is if you need a little bit more money, you can go to another player's casino and gamble at their casino ben to is, get money.
0: Ben is currently unpacking the bullet point in our planet planning document that says board game cocaine. Yes. So,
1: so what what made this go from being just a normal kind of Monopoly like game to board game cocaine was early game. It was it was me and and Brian and Larry and early game. Brian kept going to Larry's casino and gambling all of his money away and uh Larry ended up having a good deal more money than he should have by all rights because he kept getting all of Brian's money as well as his own just because of how the luck worked out and we were a couple rounds into the game and it was already becoming clear that I was just playing kind of steadily boring and safe boring and safe Brian was playing risky Fast and, and, loose. and and he was losing for it and Larry was getting an edge and because I was giving him all my money yeah. by gambling. So so Larry at one point was like, do you want to restart or like do you want to just stop playing at this point because we know I'm gonna win And that's when things got interesting.
0: So <laughs> that's when that's when Ben saw me uh, pass the verge of insanity and went, over there <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna join in. I'm gonna you know that that insane person. I think we might be friends. So what ended up happening was Ben and I essentially became one team. Yeah. And we were playing against Larry. But the thing that balanced it out, that made it so we weren't just 2v1ing Larry was that we were one team, but we still played as recklessly as I had before gambling away all my money. Right. So we were we were one
1: team of like drug addicts basically, <laughs> who who like by all, any means necessary
0: wanted more. We won more. that one gamble. <laughs> We wouldn't go. Oh yes, perfect. Now we have enough money to do the thing we wanted to do. No, we'd say, "Oh, we won once. Double down. Let's go again." <laughs> Which is bad. Yeah. Bad behavior. Kids, are, if your kids are listening, uh, don't do it. N- cocaine is bad.
1: Cocaine is bad, but it's fun. <laughs> so, so the the real moment that made it go from being just us being silly to it being like one of the best board game experiences I've ever had was. There's a mechanic in it where you're trying to, again, get control over the board. So
0: it starts out on your turn. Whenever you On your turn, you reveal a card, um, and that card has a lot number on it. So let's say it says D6. Then you get to put one of your little pieces on D6, and that means you kind of own that lot. So you'll get really boring $1 income per round from that. Um, if you want, there's also a dollar value on that, on that token that says, okay, for $8 million, you can make this into a casino. I like casinos. Oh, tell me more about that. So when it's a casino, then it has a die number in it. So let's say it had the number two, then you paid $8, $8 million. It's $8. It's $8 million, whatever. Um, you you put your little dice in it, it's a two, and then you choose what color casino you want it to be. So uh, what that does is if you if you have another casino adjacent to that, if you make it the same color, then it's all just one big casino. Yeah. And that's what Larry had had. He had had... Um, a, a big a big casino that was all one color, right? And a and, and bunch you, of stuff that was neighboring to and each you, other. And you
1: win the game through getting those casinos to to give you points.
0: Because, like I said, when you flip over that one card a turn, not only did it have a lot number, but it also had a color. And if the color of that card matches the color of the casino you made, then you get. It's basically jackpot. So you not only get victory points, but you also get money for each of the dice in your casino. Mm. So it's huge. Uh, So you're always trying to have the color casino of the card that has come up the least, whatever. Uh, To balance that a bit, uh, the game lets you change the color of your casino. So if a bunch of brown cards have come out, and there are only a couple left in the deck, and you go, oh, gold has only come out once. Gold is going to strike it rich. You can pay to remodel your casino and change its color. The other thing it lets you do is, <laughs> let's say that you're a couple of broke gamblers and you have a casino uh, on the edge of a big casino, and you and you want the glory, and you want to own you the just, whole casino because Ben, how does casino ownership work well, in you, loads
1: of Vegas? If you have the highest die number, then then you own the casino. But so Ben, we had a two. We had a
0: two. Well, you can you can pay to
1: re-roll and. Oh. And technically, yeah, you can. even even if it's a casino that's ten dice, and you only have one, there's a chance. There's a little chance that you'll roll a six, and they'll roll 10 ones and then you will
0: be the owner of the casino. We played that game a lot. <laughs> so, but the first turn, Larry didn't. Larry clearly hadn't thought about this, and we were we were in that little casino on the edge, and we had a two. And we said, let's we just re-rolled it. Let's go for it. And then we got a six. Yeah. And then we changed the color of our casino. And Enjoyed then immediately his. we owned his entire casino. <laughs> that was like seven lots big, which yeah. is huge. That's insane. Yeah. That like if we if that had struck once, we would have tied him that next turn. Yeah. Um so w- we immediately were and that same turn we did the same thing in the other casino. That he owned, that was also a big one. That was like six, and we took over that one. Yeah. So for one turn, we owned the two only and biggest casinos in all of Las Vegas. These this like <laughs> ragtag group of gamble addicts. Yeah. Uh, we felt amazing. So cool. I've never felt so high <laughs> from a board game. Uh, there was a lot. Also, of meanwhile, while this whole thing was going on, back when back in the early days of my gambling, I put on mood mood music, which I think. Just was the perfect so, thing for this so game. So Because I just basically put on like the generic like background casino music that is basically elevator music. So there's this elevator music playing in the background while we're losing our Screaming. minds. Screaming. Here
1: we go, baby! <laughs> Snake eyes!
0: <laughs> Needless to say, the very next turn, Larry pays the money to re-roll all the dice in the casino, and he owns them both again. Yeah.
1: He was very lucky.
0: So the gambling giveth and the gamble take it away. <laughs> uh, then we considered we the rest of the game we continued to re-roll the dice in the casino and constantly never have ownership. No. <laughs> but it was because we, we a we game that it. yes you're so far back, but to have a mechanic where you can be on the edge of glory <laughs> and really sit on that edge, uh, that was amazing. Yeah, addicting even. And so we played Lords of Vegas, and then Larry and I played a couple games on our own um, when you were out doing Ben things. Yeah. Oh, because I took off work on Monday. Yeah. Take off work, people. It's really <laughs> nice. <laughs> so we played a, a, a couple games. We played one is called Patchwork, um, which we, I realize we've talked a lot about board games. We even talked about board games Sunday, so I'll be a bit brief on these. Um, not because they're not great games, but because we'll probably play them at some other point. Um, so Patchwork is is a two player game where you're sewing a quilt, and you're kind of Tetrising pieces onto your own little game board. Um, it's really good. It's by Uwe Rosenberg, who's like a board game legend. Like if you, if Uwe Rosenberg came out of a cafe in Germany, then all the board gamers would go, oh, "No, it's not John. John, you know who that is? It's it's Uwe Rosenberg. Uwe Rosenberg." Cause he basically, so he he makes these big games. So this this game came out of a game called Feast of Odin, and he makes these games. And while he's doing them, he's like, oh, this is a really neat mechanic, and then he just releases a pure version of that mechanic in a game that's super simple, takes like twenty minutes. And so he came up with this like Tetrising idea, basically where, yeah, the tiles have little buttons on them. And those buttons you can get income for them, but. It's also about filling up your space. It's so tight. It's such a well-designed game. Um, And I will totally be a whisperer if I ever am journeying and randomly see him in the streets. (laughs) But uh, more than that, another time. And we also played another game called Concordia, which I'm sure we'll play at a board game Sunday. So we'll talk about in the future. But needless to say, it is a game that feels overwhelming at first. And then two turns in, you're like,
1: oh. I it's this. not so bad. Yeah,
0: this is actually pretty simple, and oh, the puzzle is so good. <laughs> That's more or less your thought process. But enough of that, because we will play it, and then we'll talk about it again when we have a bit more context. Because when Larry and I are playing, it's just like, yeah, both of us are board game people, and like we analyzed it really well, and you know, it was his first time playing, and I played before, so I had a bit of an edge on him, and, and I won. And it's, I think it's more fun to play when we have a bit more variety of experience around the mm-hmm. table. So. But what did we do on Board Game Sunday? Well, we
1: played also a lot of games. So uh, we did play this one called Splendor, which I, I fondly remember you getting very mad at. Um, I'm, al- I'm allowed to be bitter. So, so uh, Splendor's a game that we played a lot. I I love it. I think it's, it's amazing. It's an incredibly tight, simple game. You're building an empire of uh, gems, and you use chips to buy cards, and then cards. Can help you buy more cards, and eventually you kind of
0: amass this purchasing empire. Um, it's the same way that um, a game like Suburbia, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the future, is is an amazingly designed board game because you finish playing and you you look down and you've literally built, a built city. something. So not only do you get that sense of momentum and building that you do in most board games, but you look down and you've actually built something. So Splendor is one of those games you look down and you see. Yeah, my gem and my gem, my gem empire is awesome. Pretty cool. It's pretty good gem empire. Totally I just thought of that trademark. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so uh, the
1: only other tiny thing I'll say about Splendor is, um, uh, without going into lots of details, we noticed something about the game that um, seems like it's overpowered, and uh, I think that we're excited about the idea of modifying it, and that's something that's really cool that a lot of people don't think about, is especially if you take a game that's on the simpler side and you, you point out something about it that doesn't work perfectly or that you kind of get too used to when you play it a lot, you can totally mod it and change it around and and give it new life um, in a way that changes the experience.
0: And the only other thing I'll say about Splendor is that it has really good chips. Yeah, incredible It has like components. poker chips that are weighted super nicely, and you play with them, and that's pretty much the best part of the game. Mm-hmm. But that's not a knock on the rest of the game. That's a that's a, just an endorsement of how good these chips are. Well, not to go back to talking about Fog of Love and how great it is, but it has similar, similar chips. Chips,
1: really good. Um, Ask us about Fog of Love. <laughs> we haven't heard that before. <laughs> um, so then we also play this game called Cash and Guns, which is basically a giant game of chicken. Um, it's a
0: giant game of chicken where you're pointing actual foam guns at actual people.
1: Yeah, which, which is, uh, depending on who you're playing with, either like great fun or like kind of a turnoff.
0: This was, this was a good group. Everyone yeah. had fun doing it. Uh, yeah. it was, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's just nonsense. It's a nonsense game, but it, as a filler, if you have the right group of people who like don't mind pointing foam, foam guns at each other, which by the way, the tone of the game is very like, <laughs> Yeah. It's not a. It's not nefarious in any way, um, and yet yeah, paintings—the paintings are the best part of the game. Paintings are overpowered. They have so there are paintings in the game, and the more you have of them, the more they're worth. But also, they just—they're famous paintings that the game makes really cartoonish and silly. Yeah. So when they come out, you're like <laughs> Aphrodite in the shell, Starry <laughs> Night, whatever. Yeah, Ben knows what they are. I do
1: Anyway, um, <gasps> so that was fun. Also, there's a great game we played called Concept. Where you're trying to communicate ideas using um, just kind of subcategories. So uh, basically, the the whole point of it is about communicating uh, a thought to someone else using nonverbal communication.
0: If if I had to recommend a game that people take back to their families for the holidays, concept is is that game because it's it's a game that's all about it's kind of like taboo-ish where, and we mentioned this before about code names, where it's about getting to something not necessarily the easiest way, but kind of through lateral thinking. Mm-hmm. This is like that, except instead of using words and reasoning and stuff, you have to communicate that with picture abstractions, which sounds really intense. It's actually just funny. Yeah. So you, you have
1: this board and it has these uh, illustrations of a lot of different types of... Of colors and shapes and and subject areas and all sorts of stuff like that, and then you use tokens to kind of uh, notate which is kind of like the big idea of what you're trying to communicate, and what are kind of like the sub ideas, and you kind of add those all up together to get something uh, that that ends up feeling like a coherent thought.
0: Yeah, and and uh, the way you do this is uh, you're you have a you have a thing that you. Want to communicate to people? Let's say it's a starfish. So the first thing that you do is you place your like big main idea thing on uh, animal, and then people go, okay, it's an animal, lion, tiger, and then you're you go, wait, I haven't put any more things down. <laughs> so then you might add something like uh, cubes and angles and point, and uh, they they have they do a really good job of having a bunch of pictures that are never too specific that they'll just give away the thing you're trying to clue for uh but that are broad enough that they can apply to anything. So one of the really neat things is just they've all like a one and a zero. And uh on that on that's own it might not seem like that big of a thing, but uh really quickly in the game through abstraction you figure out that if someone puts a one by something and uh, it by another thing then you know yes it's definitely that thing if you have a zero and then a thing that means okay it's definitely not that thing so zero red means it's not red okay there's not red Not it's not, not not bloody i get that i get that mm-hmm. um so the game gives you those tools to really like figure out how to read the people guessing what you're giving them uh, which is really cool and also does a really nice job of difficulty i think where they give some really easy ones. They have some really hard ones. But sometimes when you take on a really hard one, it feels just so satisfying when people get it. Yeah, absolutely. And we we had a fun a fun time with it, mostly because uh, if you get have the right group of people, it gets uh, real inappropriate real fast <laughs> in really funny ways that we won't get into because we're trying to maintain our clean parental thingy <laughs> majiggy on <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> But certainly it it lends itself to some silliness. Very funny. Uh, And then uh, the last game that we'll talk about um, kind of briefly, but wanted to make sure we gave it a shout out, is we played a game called Exit, which is an Escape the Room in the Box. Um, And we've done a a couple of these before. Um, This is a new company for us, so we haven't done an Escape the Room by Exit before. We've done them before with a series called Unlock. Which are also really good, but this one just felt incredible, spectacular. Um, the puzzles were amazing, and that was one. Of, that was also one of my best board gaming experiences. Period. Because we had a group that was going to this escape the room, and absolutely every single person contributed every their specific expertise to one particular puzzle at any given moment. So. We ended up up winning and getting a pretty good score, but it really felt like a super team effort Yeah. where I could point to Ben and and say, Ben, if it wasn't for the way you got this puzzle, then we we would have no way we would have gotten out of there. Totally. And then, you know, Larry, oh my God, how did you figure out the one that we were sitting? All of us stared at it for five minutes and you were the one who figured it out. And the fact that each of us had our own moment because the variety in the puzzles was so different that everybody could contribute one thing uh, because everybody thinks a little bit differently. So there's a, a puzzle that's about thinking a little bit differently in each thing. It was amazing. It had amazing momentum. It did a really good job of being frustrating in the puzzle way of like, oh, I don't know what the answer is, but then having an answer that's solvable. Um, and it, oh my God. yeah, it just It was so, winning felt so nice. And like, even just solving the little puzzles just felt amazing totally
1: and and i think that there is something to be said for how a lot of games really um within that one game they kind of reward one type of thinking and um i know that my experience of playing games like that um if it's not totally aligned with the way that i like to think is a lot of times feeling uh kind of bad that i'm not as smart or as good as the other people i'm playing with but this game was so well designed, like you mentioned, where everyone had a moment where they, the way that they thought was represented and they could feel like
0: they were the champion of the group because they were, you know, and, and, and part of that is definitely the game and the game design. Part of that was just the group of people we play with were just so just insanely lovely and, and awesome. And they this. bought into it. You yeah. Know? You can't, this isn't the kind of thing where. You can get it and, you know, everybody's having a beer and kind of laughing and taking their merry time. It wouldn't be the, it wouldn't have the same feeling of momentum and import intensity that this had that. I felt like because it had that, it was just that much better. Agreed. Yes, indeed. It's like the
1: bulb without the socket. It's like the model without the rocket. It's like the
0: rocket without the booster. It's like the cock-a-doodle-doo without the rooster. It's like the rooster without the hen.
1: It's like the where without the when. So you had a pretty exciting concert week. Oh, my God. <laughs> so sore, Ben. I had so, a very sore concert week. So you learned you learned your lesson when you saw your favorite band of all time. Oh. Last go-around. In April. In April. And the shows were too close together. Ben, what's my favorite band of all time? Your favorite band of all time is LCD Sound System. <laughs> oh, uh, my God. Who you got into after they broke up, and then they got back
0: together, and it, like, made your life. Yeah. So, the joy I've gotten from seeing LCD Sound System, now that they've reformed, outweighs all of the joy in the world, period. <laughs> <laughs> it is... I am. I am just so high on life when i come back from the shows um and (laughs) i was so hyped on it that i i magically got the tickets sell out very quickly and i somehow in april i had secured tickets to two back-to-back nights of lcd shows and i was freaking out because i'd seen them once before and this was they were opening up a new venue that was only 1800 people which is insanely tiny for lcd and i'm obsessed with tiny venues uh and I was so happy to go both days. And the first day happened, and I danced like I wasn't, I wasn't present and didn't have any regard for my body and just put it all on the line so that every second of every song, my body was doing the optimal dance move for every single piece of rhythm. And these are songs that are intricately layered. Like there's the go bells on top of the tim- timbeys and there's, it's, oh my God. <laughs> and my body was was mirroring all of this insane percussion in a way that I basically came home and passed out and had like the best sleep of my life. And then the next day, I was sore. And then I <laughs> went again. Had to do the- and then I did the same thing again, which meant the next night I was double double exhausted. Yeah. Which I found not pleasant, although <laughs> I would still do it again i absolutely do it again in a heartbeat. But then LCD, being the very generous to their fans group that they are, announced that they were doing 10 shows here in December. Uh, and I was like, I want to go see LCD multiple times. And then I more or less had the realization that if I go, I should try to spread out my shows. And uh, I think like six days. Six days is enough for me to recover my legs and then I'll be able to go and see them again. Um,
1: Same fun, less hurting.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's the optimal amount of time of rest I've found. LCD math uh, <laughs> to to fully recover before seeing them again, because there are you can definitely go to the show and just sit back and watch them and enjoy the insane amount of things that are going on. Because there's like eight people in the band at any given moment that all have their insane personalities. And all, if you point to any two of them, they have their own kind of dynamic between them. You know, Tyler Pope's always going to be in the back, like, having a great time playing the bass. Al Doyle's always going to be, like, being the crazy guitar dude that he is and, like, jumping around and being more into it than 90% of the people there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And James is going to be James and just lead-sing, like, a boss. Um, But but
1: again, James Murphy and, and the rest of the group are building this music so that you dance to it
0: yeah and and one of the best things about their shows is that they get really mad at you if they see any phones um so if they see you with a phone out then they'll kind of like block their face out so that you're not actually recording their face um and trying to make it very apparent like i've I've multiple times heard james murphy say things like has your mother never told your mom no put your phone away or uh Thank you for not having your phone out, which is an Irish-American passive-aggressive way of saying, put your phone away. <laughs> um, which is awesome. He just doesn't care. Because the thesis of LCD was always about wanting to go and play shows where people didn't actually care about what was happening on stage, but were just dancing their heart out. Because that's that's why this is a group of people who were disillusioned with punk music. Because people were going to the shows and they weren't in the environment at all. They were just spectators and they said screw that dance music's doing this awesome thing where no one's a spectator everyone's participating so we want to make dance music uh but most dance music was too uh synthesized and big and produced and they but they still punk people so their their whole thing was we're going to make dance music with an edge Um, and then they released their first song Losing My Edge Uh, and now here they are and so obviously they hate cell phones (laughs) because they stop you from being exactly where you are and I swear to God no place am I ever so present than when I'm seeing an LCD show because they, they demand your attention they demand it and if you give it to them they reward you for it I each LCD show I see feels like a total of three minutes has passed the entire night. And they play for like two hours, three minutes. And it's because you're so there, you're so present, you don't have big memories. And even James Murphy at one point in the second show said, um, I don't want to be remembered forever. And it's just like an off-handed comment because of course he does it because everything he says is poignant and oh my God. But, that, but it's so, so fitting to LCDs. They, they don't want, James doesn't want to be remembered forever. He just wants you to have one spectacular night because of him, you know? Um, and that's Maybe. amazing. Yeah, and it did. And the, the there's a lot of little things I could get into. Night two is technically better than night one because James Woods is like insanely sick night one. And night two, other people in the band were sick, but they weren't the lead singer, so it was fine. <laughs> also, um, I had slightly more dancing space. And if I have carte blanche on the dance floor with LCD... It is that the, no therapy is as good as having your own personal space at an LCD show because it's you'd dance your heart out. And I could talk about like the little moments like um, remembering a very specific moment because uh, a song, of there's someone great, which is all about someone really important to you passing and how nothing makes that normal or OK, but the world keeps being normal. And that's weird. That's what the song is. So they play it live, and it's kind of a dancey song, so kind of people are kind of dancing to it. But I, I always hear it and then put in this place where, I just, it's, it just is a very emotional song for me. So I stand there and kind of have my hands on my chest, and then the bass was at the frequency of my chest, so I could literally feel the bass moving my entire chest with the music. And wow, talk about feeling like you're a part of the music. I was lost. Um, is incredible. That uh, happened both nights. Insane. They played, and yeah, I could talk about like differences in set list. Like night two, they played "Losing My Edge," and it's it's such a good song. <laughs> it is so good because especially live, they do the little things where when they're talking about Daft Punk, they like kind of play like a keyboard Daft Punk sound, and it, uh, there's a bit in the song that goes. Um, I, was, I played Daft Punk. I played it to the Rock Kids. I played it at CBGB's. And the, nobody knew then. And he's and he's like, they all know now. And James is like, but they, they don't even really need to know now. Because everyone knows Daft Punk now. He just doesn't decide during the show. He just makes it yours. And it just feels so special. Um, and I got to. I had the pleasure of being there with people who I really like both nights. So then being able to like... Afterwards, just be like, oh my god, was just amazing. Um, and yeah, I, and so I saw LCD twice, and I also saw two other bands this week. Um, so I saw Shamir, who, uh, super gr- he's super great, um, very good at being himself, which is so nice. Uh, his first album is this amazing, like, indie dance record that like, everyone needs to go and listen to Ratchet, the album. Also the song, Ratchet, is it's gold. Everything is just like disco-y, y, to Z, awesome, amazing. Like, lyrics that are so chameer and amazing. Just so unique. Uh, and then album two is totally not that. And he played only album two, which is good. Like, I'm glad. I want I want to arti- go see an artist and have them 100% believe in the thing they're putting in front of me. That's That's number one. That's what they got to do. Um, so I went and I was like, kind of hoping that there'd be some like dancey stuff but it was just um, guitar music and it was fine uh, like I said again it was really nice being able to sit back and appreciate how important this music clearly was for Shamir uh, but I like I'm into, I'm into your dancey stuff so uh, this is kind of like an expectations reality in night missing the night thing but still definitely worth seeing and i'm glad i went to see Shamir um and glad i saw them when he did when i did because i i feel like it's he probably wasn't getting what he needed out of the music from before so i totally respect that um the other band i saw was Lee Volibeck, who is a Canadian singer-songwriter who just has just an immaculate voice it is jaw-droppingly beautiful and music flows through him, in a way that is so rare. Where even he can't even sit down and play an organ. He can't. Like he physically can't. If you sat him down and said play some organ, he would just start squirming around because he just feels it all over in his bones. He can't just stand up and play guitar. He will. He moves his whole body, and it's it's a whole it's a whole thing affair. It's just really good. His one of the amazing folk album came out this year. He's had couple of good albums and if you like any kind of thing that's remotely americana leave back oh my god leave back so yeah good concerts i guess <laughs> doom, 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 doom. Doom, yes indeed <laughs> <laughs> it's like the sketch without the shade it's like the retro without the grade
1: it's like the grade Without the pass, it's like
0: the leak without the gas. It's like the gas without the toot. It's like the garlic without the root. And to continue everyone's favorite segment, R-I-T-R. Writer. 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 I'm a writer.
1: Ben, you've done some writing. I did do some writing. <laughs> um, so so this is just kind of a, a brief note um, To to sum up something that I've really grown into over the last year or so um so i i uh have been privileged enough to go to a lot of great schools that teach a lot of writing theory and stuff like that and um the the thing that most people kind of go with by default when they're writing not necessarily um kind of narrative works but just anything you know if you're writing a, a letter to someone or a, a paper or a proposal or whatever um people tend to think that they should be talking in a way that's sort of scientific you know kind of use evidence to support a claim that they're trying to make um and there's a great talk at um this cool event that we both worked for called the games for change festival Woo! um and it's good there's a
0: gamesforchange.org yes ha ha um go there but it's got all the all the festival talks and stuff mm-hmm. and it's there are some amazing panels which i'm sure there's the one that you're talking about He's going to talk about is going to be good but there's so much stuff on there of awesome talks of people like uh the cast of overwatch talking about gender inclusivity in video games and some other good ones
1: yeah, and, and we can talk about that when we, don't have a, we have so much totally to totally to Writer. You're a writer. <laughs> um, so so there's this um talk that Chris Graves gave. He's a, a neuroscientist, and he, he invented was, uh, Graves. He did not. Um, but <laughs> he was talking about how basically the way that people have historically believed that we change our behavior and ch- change our opinions has been proven to be basically totally wrong, um, recently and. It's the idea that if you try to use facts to convince someone of something, you generally just kind of entrench them in their original position versus what does... Because a defense mechanism kicks in. Yeah.
0: That says, someone's trying to convince me of something and they shut down. Totally.
1: Whereas the the way to kind of circumvent that is you tell someone a story. And um, I've I've been doing a lot of um, work trying to promote a project that i'm working on and definitely by far what's become much more effective rather than trying to use evidence-based rhetoric to talk about you know oh this is right because the market is doing this and like this is uh historically like what makes money and, like whatever else rather than using those tactics to just kind of tell someone
0: a good story you know and well and you it's it's not that you weren't writing stories before either you were still writing very personal very human things, but it was a lot more, you'd say it was, it, it was almost more, um, it felt less alive. Would you say like it was a lot more transactional?
1: Yeah. But yeah, that's definitely true. And and specifically, um, in terms of the way that you present a project in a, in a medicine, like not, not the project itself. Mm-hmm. You know, the project can be as, as human as you want, but if you sit someone down and the first thing out of your mouth is, you know, like, Hey, I think that, uh, this technology is really cool you know i think that this um uh is perfect for this environment because this is the way that people are consuming content like this is what binge culture looks like like when you're just kind of giving people a lot of information that doesn't convince them the same way as you saying let me let me tell you a story about how i met my friend casey and and when you can really start to come through in the way that you're talking um we we uh well, it's a kind of similar way I met you, actually. I was I was really into Casey, and Casey was like, ah, I don't know about this Ben. He's, like, pretty excited about being with me, and I, like, don't know that I like being around him.
0: And then we get whittled down. Yeah. Ben's friend crushes are...
1: Intense. ...lethal. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, just the idea that when, when you start to, to, again, put people in the headspace of wanting to ask that question, like, oh, how did you meet? Like... Oh, what did you do then? Like when you, when you couldn't figure that out, what, what happened next? Suddenly people start to care in a different way, which I think is useful for people. Again, whether they're writing a letter or a proposal or any, any, uh, written document that you really do need to think about it. Like it's a story with a beginning, middle and end and that you want to take someone on a journey because that's what people care about.
0: Well, and you were doing that for some cool applications, no?
1: Yeah, Definitely. Um, so, uh, I am definitely in talks with some exciting places, which I will hopefully talk about more when there's more time. Uh,
0: killer. And yeah, I'm in love with you. Oh yeah, I'm in love with you. Oh yeah, I'm in love with you. Oh I'm in
1: love with you. you. Yes, indeed. It's like the penny without the
0: copper. It's like the cork without the stopper. It's like... The stopper without the bottle it's like the speed gauge without the throttle it's like the throttle without the pedal
1: it's like the heavy without the metal dun, dun, dun.
0: hey ben w- did we have time for video games this week somehow we made the time how <laughs> i just had my choir concert i had sketch writing class how do we have time for video games? Well, they're just—it's—it's it's just so restorative. Also, video games aren't this. So I—I I was having uh, dinner with my old high school math teacher, Fred, on Monday, uh, and I mentioned that w- we do this podcast and that we talk about like, board games, music, video games, and writing. And he was like, "Video games? Who has time for video games anymore?" And I was like, "Listen, <laughs> Fred." My, my favorite, one of my favorite games of all time this is like a three hour experience that you sit through. It's basically just like watching a movie. You just kind of along for the ride. He was like, oh, I was like, yeah, there's no, these aren't games where you have a gun or go around killing people necessarily. And he went, oh, and I was like, yeah, modern video games. What up? <laughs> so, so
1: what up? What is up? So, so one, one game again, that kind of is unlike what you would expect from a video game is this really delightful uh, game called Snake Pass. <gasps>
0: snake Pass! Snake Pass! <laughs>
1: Where you're basically, you're playing as a snake, and you have to slither. Named what, Ben? Your name is Noodle. Noodle! <laughs> Noodle the snake. And uh, the whole game is, is very uh, kind of simple, level-based. You know, you just kind of slither around, pick up. Collectibles, and then that's the whole game. Well,
0: it's it's you know if if you you might hear the word platformer describing this game. So if there's any part of you that's ever enjoyed a Mario game, Snake Pass is probably for you. And we've never really enjoyed a Mario game. And Snake Pass was for us anyway. Yeah. Because of how inventive it is.
1: Right. So so uh the even even if you don't play a lot of games, there is this idea of you know the Mario formula of you kind of run and jump and climb stuff, you know, and Snake Pass. And we've, all,
0: we've all seen, like, a controller for a thing, whether yeah. that's, like, a PS2 controller or an Xbox controller Arcade. or even a Game Boy. And yeah. you, you know that they're, like, the general structure and layout of them, and you kind of expect games to use them in, in a very standard way. theres yeah. not There hasn't generally been much innovation in how we engage this, like, basic tool that you'd see associated with most video games,
1: and and it's awesome because Snake Pass is innovating both on the those controls that you're talking about, and on a character. Because again, it's it sort of asks the question like, okay, we get it. Like Mario is a super overpowered plumber who can jump really high. It's really good at jumping. What if what if you're not playing as a character who has legs, you know? What then? Can if you can't jump, how do you how do you go from point A to well, point B? Well, I guess
0: eight? you'd have to like grip on stuff somehow. But how would you grip on things
1: without legs? <laughs> well, you could wrap your body around things but and then use the coils you'd to be give you really leverage. Weird
0: looking human.
1: Yeah, or you'd be a snake.
0: <gasps> noodle, let's call it noodle.
1: <laughs> so so uh, it is really innovative in terms of the controls because you're. You have kind of a a control to move forward, and you have to slither to move faster, and you have a control to kind of, like, tighten up
0: your muscles to be able to wrap around things A lot of the game is about... So if you're trying to get from point A, which is lower than point B, in order to get to point B, you have, like, a peg maybe in between them, and you have to figure out how to contort your snake body between, like, wrapping it around and, like, moving it at the right angle in order to get to point B. Um, So it's really cool, and... (laughs) Ben is by no means good at this game. No, absolutely not. But it really lets you be creative and solve it in whatever way works for you, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I really like um, one of my favorite PC game review sites is a game, is a place called Rock, Paper, Shotgun. Um, And one of my all-time favorite opinions of things in the video game and board game space is a journalist named Pip War, uh, Philippa War, and... Uh, she has this awesome... I think it's on a podcast, actually. It's not an article, but it's really good. Um, and she basic, they basically asked the question, what do you think is going to be a, a major innovation that's going to come through video games in the next couple of years? And Pip was basically talking about how there's this untapped market of just subverting people's expectations on how controllers work and how Snake Pass and another game called Brothers, which both of us super adored, mm-hmm. um, that plays with the controller in an amazing way to actually help like, help tell the story. The fact that you can tell a story by thinking about a controller differently is amazing. And I think more games are going to... I think Pip's right. And I think a lot of games are going to experiment with that because um, there's so much potential there. Like, yeah. we love... Snake Pass uh, doesn't even have this, like, narrative which we normally need in games, but it's engaging enough just because the controls are so interesting. Definitely. Um, and...
1: And I think there is a lot of stuff that's happening in um, motion controls as a way of, again, trying something new. And as many pitfalls as there are around that, you know, like the Wii changed everything. Suddenly you had grand- grandparents in nursing homes excitedly playing virtual tennis with other people in their group because of the control
0: scheme and how it changed. Or for changed. me, you actually had... Uh... You were in a clinical hospital doing post stroke rehabilitation with people using the Wii. Yeah. Uh, this is yeah, it's really cool. the 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 notion that yeah, this 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 design can inform like a new thing. Like I generally know what bowling looks like. If I have a controller and I mimic what it looks like when I'm bowling, what if I could just play by bowling by doing that? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be way more immersive than doing bowling? However, I could think of it otherwise. Yeah. Totally. Let's make that. And there's other
1: awesome examples of motion controls like something like Flower and stuff that's
0: in virtual reality right now. People are still figuring stuff out. Even in Until Dawn, there Mm -hmm. was some cool controller stuff going on. But more on those random things later. (laughs) Um,
1: Well, one game that that doesn't so much innovate on controls (laughs) and also doesn't have a story. It's not
0: really particularly innovative, but it's so
1: funny. So funny. is this game that's basically our number one guilty pleasure called Super Mega Baseball.
0: Yeah, and it's... I will preface this by saying that (laughs) only one other human has ever appreciated any anecdote about Super Mega Baseball, and that's Ben's dad, which is not a good sample (laughs) size.
1: And to be clear, there's many people who who see us and hear us doing our thing, and they're like,
0: okay. So what... Why is it good? (laughs) Like, you don't get it. There's a character named... Chewing on grass, and she's an outfielder, and, <laughs> and she's, she's and... chewing
1: on grass. <laughs> um, but but uh, this brings me to a larger point because well, um, well okay we'll tell one epic explain,
0: story. Let's explain the game a little bit. Yeah. So you you play it's baseball. It's a baseball game, uh, <laughs> and but it's all the characters are cartoonish. Cartoonish. Yeah, uh, and they look like danguses. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone looks like an idiot, which is awesome, and the The game not only lets you name all of the players on your team, but also just has generally really funny, randomly generated names. Uh, that sometimes they'll be your greatest villain of all time. For instance, Spanky <laughs> Wagner. Spanky Wagner. There was a period of time with forever reason. I had this big mental block where, oh no, I can I can never pitch to a redhead, because they will because I just pitched Red to redheads a couple times and they hit home runs off yeah. of me. And I was just afraid of all of them. So the ultimate the evil redhead was Spanky Wagner. Spanky Wagner. And I was so angry because I always had to pitch to Spanky Wagner. And Ben got to pitch to the worst batter in the entire game, <laughs> whose name is Rolf Borgnar. Borgnar. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's just like a little taste <laughs> of some of the great naming. But uh,
1: but so we, we had one epic moment where there was a character who had a funny name. Mario Mustachio, and, <laughs> and he had a
0: big old mustachio. A big old
1: mustachio,
0: um, but then we got to rename Mario Mustachio because we had so the way we play the game is we we play as a one team each season, and that team we just rename all the characters. So that's how we got characters like Widehead, Widehead, <laughs> and uh, Chewing on Grass, Chewing on Grass, and Child of Frogs, Child of Frogs,
1: because <laughs> she had a big a big lower jaw and like a big underbite. So it looked like she was kind of like a frog. Yep. That's about as intense as we get. Of frogs. Child of frogs. Uh, so <laughs> epic jowls. Epic so jowls. Big jowls. Um so so uh less less uh, motivated, we renamed Mario Mustachio to be Kegel Crusher. <laughs> Cuz he could c- crush kegels.
0: We made him very powerful. <laughs> so the game lets you kind of min-max the stats and Ben is only capable of playing batters who are capable of hitting home runs right
1: i can't i can't
0: hit like a solid base hit i'll get <laughs> myself out so i have to just hit home runs so we we made it max power for mario mustachio and warranted a name change sometimes when they're funny we leave them but this warranted a name change so that's this now now kegel crusher reborn and we played our first game on the hardest difficulty we've ever played and we're just terrible yeah just it was... we're awful we didn't really do anything well Except for Kegel, Kegel Crusher, Crusher, who had like three home runs, and we won that game single-handedly, like, three to zero. Yeah, <laughs> so it was epic. It was the epic turnaround of Mario Mustachio, <laughs> who's new now, Kegel Crusher, and he he's coming for your Kegels. <laughs>
1: Um But to, to just kind of do a quick a quick aside on this, because I think it's it's an interesting point. Um Growing up, my my sister never really got into games as much as I did, but. She had a few that she would like, um, and a lot of times, if there was a game that I really was excited for her to try because I liked it so much um, that had some kind of a character customization part, a lot of times that would be what Becca would enjoy the most. You know, she would sit down and like really enjoy building a character, and then once the game started, she was just kind of like, "Okay, I'm done with this," you know. Um, and I think that there is something to be said for when you're customizing a character and really making your own that you become invested in it more um as as a uh an entity you know um again she she was coming from playing with dolls playing with paper dolls playing with barbies all that kind of thing and this kind of like let her live out the digital version of that um and uh just recently she and i um played through A game that we will talk about in more depth next week called dream daddy the dating daddy simulator um and and again um it's a it's a great game it's really well written it's it's we'll talk about it more next week but um i think that what made becca go from being like oh this is fine to like actually enjoying it a ton was that we built our own dad you know we built our own character
0: The game really starts, it starts right away with you're talking to your daughter a bit, and then there's a a cheesy dude who just says, Build that that dad. dad. And then you build that dad. (laughs) So you choose, do I want to have, like, how much of a dad bod do I want to give him? Is he going to have a big belly? Is he going to be a slender dude? Is he going to be ripped? You know.
1: But but I do think that it's interesting because uh, if you look at something like Super Mega Baseball, I think if if that was not a feature in it, if we couldn't name the characters, we would not
0: like that game.
1: Advantage. Yeah, totally. Um and and that's just an interesting detail again that games have that um, in a way that most other uh like films, TV whatever doesn't. You have a role of actually investing yourself in your characters and
0: and then you get rewarded for it. And and uh games yeah, games even just naming those characters, it's funny because you you don't even have to customize them. Just being able to name characters is almost enough. So games like FTL and XCOM, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about some at some point, but they're basically these games where you name your soldiers, crew members, whatever, um, and you'll name them things like, "Oh, this is Larry. This is my brother. He's on my ship," and it's funny. But then they can die. Yeah. So then the the stakes are so much higher because it's not anybody. Oh. Oh no, Jennifer Aniston's gonna die if my ship crashes. <laughs> I don't want Jennifer Aniston to die. It just adds you a lot more personality to the thing you're playing, and a lot more, definitely a lot more stakes. Yep.
1: So uh, it was a busy week back and forth, and I played through an entire game without you, which we'll talk about in a minute. But you also played a, a bit without me.
0: Well, and it's funny because you were you're talking about games in Becca, so. When my brother was here, we also, I wanted him to try out a few video games because, um, similarly, games that I'm super hyped on, Larry's not necessarily hyped on um, because my brother is a very different gamer than you or I in that he, when he plays a game, he just wants the game to be its thing. And he's, when they're giving me words or talking, it's just a distraction and then it's annoying. Like, I just want to play the thing that... I, that's the reason I picked up the game. Yeah, the mechanics. So he loves XCOM, which is uh, it's a turn-based thing. You would see a nice grid. It's like, very thinky, um, super thematic. There are a lot of choices that feel really important and awesome. And um, you can be cautious and brave and courageous and stupid. And it's really <laughs> good. So I kind of gave him a spattering of games that were kind of similar to XCOM, but also had their own unique things um, to try to see what stuck for Larry. And I think the the two that, that stuck the most for my brother, one was a game called SteamWorld Heist, which the general Steam World series is awesome. Uh, there's this game. There's also a couple SteamWorld Digs. There's SteamWorld Dig and SteamWorld Dig 2. Um, that The universe is really nice. They're like cowboy robots uh they're like kind of steampunk but not really it's kind of cartoonish but not that good it's it's just really they're really well the universe is really nice and cared for uh and the mechanics are great and this game had like one of my favorite mechanics of all time where um whenever you aim your gun at somebody you can aim it at their hat and if you hit their hat off then you can collect that hat and put it on your robot later so but it's obviously it's stupid because you're just putting yourself in harm's way for, oh, 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 I haven't seen that beanie before. I need that beanie. Um, but it's awesome and adds a ton of stakes. But that that does a really interesting thing with like playing with um, levels and covers in a way that um, is super different from XCOM, so it's a really awesome game in its own right. And then the other game that actually really stuck with him was Bastion, um, which is a game that I'm super in love with because it is a game that is all about atmosphere and yes you have to execute some like shooting stuff or hitting stuff but it you can turn it down to easy and then that combat isn't as much of a thing and it's worth it because honestly the atmosphere of that game is so amazing you you're on a little floating platform that you know arises and comes up to you as you're walking so it really feels like you're impacting the world and the whole thing was narrated by this smoky voice, smoky voice narrator with this custom, amazingly beautiful music playing the entire time. And it's, it's so, like, you'll fall off the edge and then the um, the narrator says, kid falls off the edge, learns his lesson. And you, like, have a little bit of damage, but you didn't die. And it, it's just nothing feels so cool as when this smoky voice narrator is narrating you. As this, like, as the kid, it's just so good. And Larry, Larry was like, "Oh my god, this narrator! Like, I, I want this game." Yeah. Um. And yeah, yeah, there are mechanics and combat in it and whatever, but honestly, it's just so much about this atmosphere that all that stuff's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that I did on my own was uh, I finally got to replay uh, a, a series that I really like um, with my good friend Peter. From high school, uh, uh, I'm sure we've all heard of the Civilization series. So it's a game where essentially you play as one country and you play all of history. And you can do things like you can play as France and then have built the pyramids and um, and the Colossus and whatever. Um, and we were playing the newest one, which is Civilization VI. Um, and it just had such a good time because it's a game that really... Um, it, it lets you do whatever you want, so it's very sandboxy in the same way that you know a character customization screen can make you choose whatever you want and like really reflect. If you looked at how Peter and I play Civilization, you'd see a reflection of who Peter and I are in the way we play the game, which is really cool. Um, and then the other thing that it does really nicely is um, the land matters a lot. So if you're France and you've found Paris and you're on a lake, you're gonna have an entirely different experience than if you're Paris and you're founded by a mountain. Because, oh, mountains help you do science because you can get up tall and look at the stars. If you're really good at science, then maybe you should specialize in science. Or maybe science is just the thing that you use to propel your love of culture even further. And all those things kind of piggyback and roll with each other. If you're a seaside town, then you should get fishing boats really early and those fishing boats, maybe you'll be an explorer. You're on the sea. Maybe you should, Uh, invest in caravels and and really get a sense of what the world looks like and settle islands Um, and it just lets you do anything Mm -hmm. Um, and there's nothing few things better in in any video game than you you spend you commit 40 turns to building a a world wonder and you build it oh my god (laughs) i built the hanging gardens and it they look immaculate in Civ 6. <laughs> so when you build it it feels awesome also every time you research a technology or a civic there's a really nice they pick like they cherry pick a quote from history that kind of applies to that thing that are amazingly lovely and there's a really nice narrator who reads them so the whole thing is just insanely atmospheric the music changes based on whatever civilization you play as to be more specific to that civilization it's if you like if any of those sounds things sound intriguing to you um, and it uh, a game that you play for six hours at a time doesn't sound uh, like a bad thing to you, then Civ is just so worth it. It is, it just, you will lose a whole day to play it if you do. But um, if you're like me, it's so worth it. But the big thing that you played was jordan which we learned how to pronounce thanks to Google.
1: Thanks, Google. So, so Jotun is uh, uh, really... Ben thought it was
0: pronounced Jotun. He was wrong.
1: It's a really pretty game uh, that, that kind of uses kind of storybook animations uh, to basically tell the story of this...
0: Uh, it's cartoonish in an adult way. Yeah.
1: Um, and it, it's telling the story of this um, woman who was uh, killed at sea... So in Norse mythology, if you're killed in battle, you get to go to Valhalla, and she was not. So she's kind of trapped between these worlds because she was this noble warrior in life, and then in, in death, she was not in battle, and the whole game is kind of her purgatory-like experience of needing to go and fight these, these gods to prove her valor, and then eventually be able to pass on to the afterlife and and live out in the Hall of Warriors with the Valkyries and and uh, all the other warriors who died in battle. Um, and and it's it's an interesting piece because it's very heavily influenced by Dark Souls, which we have well, talked about before.
0: And I, I mean, the real the thing that intrigued you first was just you love like mythology. Yeah.
1: So so again, I, I my mom's a storyteller. I was raised in communities that were really focused on. On myths and the the role of of the mythic, and this is a game that is so well shaped and researched and crafted based on Norse mythology. Um, and uh, I I love the the whole way that myths play themselves out as these kind of larger than life, really intense, like melodramatic stories with kind of epic stakes and um, Uh, you know, the, the giants and the, the end of the world Ragnarok is coming, you know, and the whole, the whole thing is just very um, exciting and adventurous, which I love. And uh, well, it's,
0: it just goes to show you uh, when, when humanity is kind of left in the dark without really an understanding of things, just like where the human, humanity's imagination goes to, to like have an answer, even if it's, like one that's made up somehow. Yeah, uh, it's like the fact that that's that is a thing, and like not only pe- people believe it, but like the the imagination, the world that people come up with is incredible.
1: Totally, and and again, it's not just coming up with a justification. It's not just saying right. like Ra is a god who you know rides a chariot across the sky and that's the sun but you you get this whole network of stories that are about these characters yeah and and seeing them play themselves out is just so exhilarating for me for Ben um so (laughs) I don't care (laughs) so uh so it's it is interesting to talk about Jotun in the context of its uh mechanical influences because Dark Souls does a lot of those things as well, and and Ryan and my friend Ryan and I played Dark Souls Two co-op this week for a bit also, um, and uh, we played more Neo, which is great. Um, and it's interesting to talk about these games because again, there's there's a, an element of difficulty to them that is uh, part of their design. It's a very intentional choice to make them difficult games. Um, and
0: which which let's be clear, is that that choice definitely excludes a lot of people from playing their game right and from enjoying their game but but that's why something like Jotun is interesting
1: because some of the the difficulty elements are removed so um, one thing that I've I've found when I've started to share games with people who don't traditionally play games is one of the things that people who play a lot of games take for granted is is the way that you use a camera in in 3d and when you have to not just worry about you know the ways that you have to fight a well, character. As, so
0: as as an exercise to just demonstrate how concocted and weird this is, try to explain how like 3D camera controls work on a controller. Yeah, and like what that w- looks like in addition to like movement. Like explain like movement and cameras to the layman. Right.
1: It's it's tricky
0: and, and... no like do it. Oh right yeah. <laughs> so so basically
1: it's the idea that you have. Uh, one set of controls that's about moving your character around the world and another where there's kind of this invisible floating camera that you can use to revolve around that character and so, see the world so from if different you, perspectives. If
0: you, look, if you know what a traditional tr- controller looks like, there's the two little uh, like, what are they called? Joysticks? Joysticks? Joysticks. So there's the left one and the right one. And the left one, if you push up on it, you move forward. On the right one, if you push up on it, you it tilts the camera up. So trying to get people to like think, interact in the world where the left one is all about moving the direction you point at. And the right one is all about looking in the direction you're moving towards so that, you know, most of the time on the left joystick, you're actually just pushing forward. And then right is where you're aiming that forward. Yeah. That's, that's a, it's totally reasonable that that's a thing that, turns most people off from any game that uses that controller's scheme. because it's not even kind a, of crazy.
1: Right, not even to talk about once you start adding layers of, you know, you have to uh, be able to hit these buttons at the right time in order to not get killed and you have to remember where you've been and how to explore properly and there's so many elements that start to, t- like, add up until it gets to the point where people just can't play these games and um, no matter how good they are and how much you can talk about, you know, like, oh my God, this game is such an interesting uh, story about life and death or whatever. Like suddenly it becomes very alienating. Um, So so what Jotun does differently is that it's a fixed camera. So you just worry about controlling where your character is moving and the camera follows you around and you can't rotate or anything. It's just stuck, Um, which makes it more approachable in some ways. And it also isn't quite as intense in terms of its difficulty it's not quite as dense in terms of of the way that you have to move and the number of different interactions you can possibly have in any given moment. Um, you don't have different weapon types; you just have one weapon. It kind of is a much more streamlined, simplified uh, game, even though it, it is built around this idea of of challenge as but, a, as a core mechanic.
0: So i I think those comparisons hold as long as you're comparing it to like Dark Souls. Well, I am. Right, but I think the second you start comparing it to other things, then those points are kind of moot because at the end of the day, there, if if it that game still requires like pretty intense hand eye coordination, mm-hmm. so if you're not good enough, then you can't play it. Right. Um. Which, so yes, it's easier than Dark Souls, but if if that's your if that's your comparison, then like most games will pass that sniff test. Yeah. So. To me, so like I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to play YoTen, because the the idea of playing a boss like seven times to like start to understand its rhythm and its timing, so that I know like I need to press this button when it's doing this attack, and um, and I need to whittle it down and and do it this like very specific set of things, that's not appealing to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's the to me, it's um, I really like it when so. There's a game that came out this year that neither of us have played, but it's called *Assassin's Creed Origins*, um, and they they added a mode to the game where uh, you don't fight anything. You can just go around and and like climb stuff and take pictures of things, which is super cool. And I li- I really like when games take the time and acknowledge that some people might just like like to be in an environment because that was that's another thing about *Dark Souls* is that the world is beautifully designed. And as a, as a world to explore, it's immaculate and, and, and awesome in its own right. And the fact that there is all this combat people, uh, some people have expressed frustration. They're like, oh, if, if there was just a way to play dark souls without the combat. So I could just go around and appreciate this crazy world around. I would love that. Um, and part we kind of have to dissect like why they make those choices. Um, and we can't just compare the like, oh, Dark Souls is technically harder than Jotun, but they
1: still used it. I, I don't know. Well, I do. I mean, I, I think that that's certainly true. And, and that's sort of what this new emerging type of game called Walking Simulators are about. You know, yeah. it's an entire... I love them. Um uh, what ben Remains, gets bored. What Remains of Edith Finch is a good one that we'll talk about next week. Um, but basically... Also, it's come up. To come, there's a lot of them, but um, (laughs) but we'll talk about those next week. Next week, um, so so one thing to mention though is that I'm not alone in being in a situation like that and moving through those games and not having a challenge element to make me feel like I'm necessary for the ride, you know. And a lot of times in those games, I kind of feel like I might as well be watching a movie, you know. And, and I know a lot of people who um, don't, who haven't played a ton of board games or video games or any kind of games, but they like, they, they are competitive naturally. Like they grew up playing sports. They love, they love pushing themselves to the limit in that way. And um, for me, if, if you have a person like that, who inherently is looking for challenge as an engaging element, then having something like Jotun, which can give you uh, a step toward getting that challenging experience that you're looking for without some of the added complexity that comes with a three-dimensional environment um that that is an interesting way to explore uh a track to get you uh engaged enough in games in general to be able to put in the time to eventually master something like moving a camera in a 3d environment and then eventually be able to play through something like dark souls
0: and we we've touched on this a bit before, but also it became even more apparent when we were putting together our like favorite games of 2017 list of, of like a, a barrier of how interactive something can be for Ben or I to enjoy it. And that is super different. Um, so yes, there are a lot of games that we can enjoy together. There's also a lot of these games that um, I, I very much enjoy being along for the ride and feel like a video game that just takes me along Their thing can be satisfying on its own, right? Even if it's more or less comparable to a movie, it can still be, I can still be an awesome medium for me. Um, Whereas Ben might need something that's more demanding of him to impart himself on the story and get the interactivity that he's after and why he's playing video games. So uh, everybody's probably got their own, like what I need for interactivity. Um, And like my brother, (laughs) Uh, needs things to be challenging and difficult and hates when words are said to him. So, like, everybody's got their own thing. Yeah, Becca, Becca would never want to play a game that had any difficulty. She just wants person-creator. She yeah. probably... I mean, she, you have stories about The Sims, which I'm sure we'll touch on yeah. at some point. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean,
1: uh, we'll we'll kind of dig into a lot of these questions more in depth next week when we talk yeah,
0: about it. Yeah, next her. week is going to be very video game-heavy. Yeah. So... Sorry slash get Hut excited. <laughs> and that's that's it for episode three. That's
1: it for episode three. We did it. We made it through.